Good morning, good morning. Oh, it is an honor and a privilege to be back here at Hoover again. This is, uh, of all the walks that we do, don't tell anyone I said this, but Birmingham is by far my favorite. It is a pleasure to be back here with you all, and, and Hoover is uh, one of my favorite churches. As I'm sure many of you are aware, I was supposed to be here a few weeks ago, but our family had our um, uh, turn with COVID, my wife and my two kids. I was the lone holdout. I have had no symptoms. I tested negative. Uh, I'm outside the quarantine. Nonetheless, if you do not want to shake hands or hug or kiss on me after this, I will uh, not be offended uh, by that. It was, uh, it was quite an experience. We were very fortunate. Uh, we had, I think, probably as mild of a case as you could have of it. Uh, one of the most challenging aspects was trying to self-isolate in a house with a four-year-old and a two-year-old. I uh, told the eight o'clock folks, how many of you guys have seen the film Bird Box on Netflix? Nobody. Why do I keep doing this joke? No one has seen this. It, anyway, anyway, so in the, in the film, it's a really silly premise. I don't, this is not a commercial for the film. I don't suggest you go watch it, but there's this evil thing in the sky, and you never really know what it is. It doesn't tell you, but when you, if you look at it, it makes you want to harm yourself. Uh, there's this group of folks who are not affected by it, and in fact, they love it, and they go around trying to make people look at it. They're the crazy people in the film. It's a metaphor for my children uh, with COVID. Uh, we tried to explain to them, you have the sick germs, dad does not have the sick germs, he doesn't want the sick germs. They heard, I should give this to him. They have never hugged and kissed me more than in the three or so days that they uh, were feverish. In fact, I had a little air mattress that we set up for me out of my naivety, thinking I would actually avoid contact with his family. And night one, I wake up with my four-year-old glued on me, just breathing COVID into my nose and mouth. Uh, in the middle of the night, but I don't know. I, fortunately, somehow, by, by way of miracle, I suppose, I have yet uh, to get it. So anyway, it is good to be here with you now. I am, I'm thrilled to be so. How many of you have heard of Healing Hands International before? Could I see your hands? All right, a good number of you. That's excellent. For those of you who have not, Healing Hands International uh, is an organization out of Nashville. We are uh, supported by the Churches of Christ. We have a mission to aid, equip, and empower low-income communities all over the world in the name of Jesus. And we do that through a variety of ministries. We have our disaster relief ministry, which is where we started and cut our teeth, and most people across uh, the country uh, know us as. We also have a clean water ministry, an agriculture ministry, a women of hope ministry, and a ministry called the Magi Project. You can go to our website, hhi.org. You can read about all of those ministries, get as much information as you would, uh, could ever hope for, and, and hopefully you'll do that and you'll find something there that aligns with what you're trying to accomplish in your uh, individual life and that maybe we can partner with you uh, on that endeavor. Given our time limitations this morning, I'm going to be talking about two. I'm going to be talking about clean water and agriculture. Just so happens those are two of my favorite things to talk about. If you will, real quickly please, I'd like you to try and imagine what your life would look like if you did not have access to clean water. Just an individual day. 
I suspect most of you, when you woke up this morning, the first thing you did was went and used the restroom and flushed the toilet. And then you went to a sink and washed your hands. And then you brushed your teeth. And then you took a shower. And then you made some coffee. Then you made some oatmeal. Then you drank some water. You gave some water to your kids, some water to your dogs, to your cat, to your plants, to your yard. Washed your car, washed your clothes, washed your dishes. Can you imagine how tough it would be to go one day without access to fresh, clean water? Right now on our planet, that's the story for about 750 million people. And so what they do every single morning when they wake up, they grab a bucket, they grab a jerry can, they grab whatever they have that'll hold water, and they start walking. And they go to whatever the nearest water source happens to be. Maybe a mile, maybe two miles, maybe five, maybe six. Every single day, on average, women and children walk four miles to get their water. I can share an anecdote with you. We were in Haiti a couple of years ago. We're driving to this very remote part of Haiti. We cross this little bridge where there's a stream, and there's these two young men, probably seven, eight years old, I'd say, and they were filling up two jerry cans apiece with water, filling it up as much as they could carry, probably 25 pounds or so each. And we asked them if they wanted to ride back to their house, and they did, so they hopped in the back of our truck, and we drove them five miles one direction. And the next day when we were gone, they were going to get up the same time, they were going to grab the same jerry cans, and they were going to walk that same five miles again, one way, fill up those buckets and walk five miles back. Now, over the years, I've often had folks come up to me and they give suggestions on what people in low-income countries need to do to better themselves. And I suspect you're familiar with most of the suggestions. They need to work harder. They need to get an education. They need to learn English. They need to learn a job skill. They need to somehow get them access to markets. All of these things are wonderful suggestions. But the question I want to ask is, okay, will you tell me, when's the eight-year-old supposed to learn English when he walks 10 miles a day just to get water for his family? When's that little girl supposed to learn math when she walks six, seven miles every single day to get water for her family? Now, of course, the distance traveled, the time spent, the opportunity cost. This is not the worst aspect of the water crisis, unfortunately. The worst aspect of the water crisis is the quality of water that they get. This is a typical water source in Kenya. This is a typical water source in Kenya. I took these last two pictures a year ago in the Masimara region of Kenya where we were there to complete a water project. In this village, there were 2,500 people, there were 10,000 animals, and every single one of them got their water from this source right here. There's a little underground sort of spring there, and when you'd scoop it up, it would just bubble back up to the top. And all day long, there's a line of about 20 people with their donkeys or cows, whatever they have, in line to get that water. That young lady right there, she was my age. She had four kids, excuse me, five kids. She made the trip from her house to that water source four times every single day. The day we left there, we went to visit our friends at the Ayaro Church of Christ in the Ayaro region of Kenya. 
preacher asked us if we would like to go see the water source they were currently using. We were in the process of completing a water project there as well. We said we did. We walked probably a mile or so from their church and their village to what I would call a really big mud hole, uh, maybe just a little smaller than this room. And while we were there, there were these two young ladies filling up their jerry cans. And 20 or so yards behind them, there was a gentleman with six or seven cows. And the cows were knee-deep in the water, and they were drinking. And if you know much about cows, you know that while they were drinking, they were also defecating into the water. The same water that those two young women were about to take home to cook with, to clean with, to drink, to give their kids to drink, because it's the only water that they have. Every single day in this world, we lose 6,000 people to dirty water. And of that 6,000 people, 90% of them are children ages 5 and younger. And the part about that that is so frustrating to me, which is also a cause of hope, is that it is a choice that this is the reality. We're not waiting on a cure not waiting on some solution to the problem. We have the solution to the problem. We know what to do. You go into the village, you drill down into the ground, and you get water. We have the technology. We have the resources. The thing we're waiting on is for enough people to have the will, for enough folks who have resources to say, this is something that is important enough for us to do and do it. And when we do that, we get different images and we get different stories. We get images like this and this. This is a young lady. Every single day of her life that she can remember, I suspect, she has walked with her mom or her sisters to get water for her family. And then one day, for some reasons that she can't understand, these Christians from America showed up and said, we love you and Jesus love you, and you deserve fresh, clean water, and put a well right there on the edge of her village, and she did not have to walk anymore. I mean, I I can't overstate how life-changing that is for this person and for hundreds just like her. I would like to share another story with you. And if it's all right with you, I'm just going to read it directly. This is a report that was sent to us from Brother John Dubay, who works with us. He is one of our colleagues in Zimbabwe. These are his words. The Bendela village is about 60 kilometers from the Zambia-Zimbabwe border. The village, like all the communities in the Sembezi Valley, is situated in a very mountainous and stony area. The land is semi-arid with thorny bushes and without adequate pastures. The people of Bandela survive by growing the few crops that will grow in marginal lands that lack adequate rainfall, such as sorghum and millet. And the people also keep small herds of mountain goats, which mostly feed on the thorny bushes. The general welfare of the people can only be described as very tough. Hunger and desperation is evident in the faces of the children and women. 
Bandela has been a preaching point for evangelist Charles Fury and his team for more than 10 years. The small band of the faithful meet in a small church in the village, and the number of believers has been slowly growing. Despite the resilience of the people of this remote village, the problem of water is severe. The streams dry up in the dry months of the year, and people have to walk to the Kafui River about six or seven miles away. The drought of 2019 and 2020 has made this desperate situation even worse. All the water in the streams and the shallow wells have dried up, leaving women no choice but to wake up before dawn once every day to walk the six or seven miles to the Kafui River to fetch water for their families. The lack of water in the village was compounded by a severe crop failure, which brought about food shortages. And this double tragedy made survival almost impossible. Many people began to abandon their ancestral village to look for areas where survival was not as hard. It was at this time when the people couldn't find answers to the challenges of survival that Charles Fury, with the help of Healing Hands International, engaged a drilling company to start looking for underground water. The first well was drilled, did not yield water, it was a dry well. But the driller moved to a second site where much water was found. And this well now provides water for the people and the livestock. Tobias Mitwa, which is the picture you see here on the screen, is a 63-year-old senior member of the Bandela Village. And he had this to say on what the water well means to him and his family. When the drought hit this region, our crops failed and water sources all dried up, and people had to start walking the 10 kilometers to the Kafui River to get water for family use. Unfortunately, it was not only the distance that was a challenge, but the river was also infested with crocodiles. And after my daughter survived a crocodile attack, I decided to leave and go to another village where they had safe water. Leaving my ancestral village was very painful to me and my family. And when we heard that the Church of Christ and its partners had drilled a deep well and installed a hand pump, I decided to bring my family back. This well is really a blessing to me and the entire village. And here is a picture of some more members of the village there. As I was prepping for this last night, my father-in-law was over at the house, and I shared that story with him. And he sat there for a second, and both of us at almost at the same time just said, can you even, can you even fathom what it would be like if a legitimate fear of crocodiles was part of your daily experience. When every single day of your life, you really did think maybe today my daughter, my wife, myself will be attacked by a crocodile because that's the only place we can go to get water. In the year 2020, I don't think that should be the reality for anyone and I know you don't either. And fortunately, it is no longer the reality for this village. And if you'd like to know how that is possible, how it is that this remote village, seemingly in the middle of nowhere, was able to come up with the resources to provide that freshwater well, is because of these folks right here, and here, and here, and I think you recognize some of these folks. I hope you do. They are you. This was the result of the, the walk that we had last year between the Hoover and Asheville Road and Decatur Highway and Palisades Church. The money that we raised at that event went to sponsor that well in that village. 
which was able to bring so many of those people back to their ancestral lands, which is incredibly important to them, which is where they get their self-worth. And now they have self-worth thanks to the things that you all did. And we're going to have that same opportunity to do that again, to have more stories just like that next week. Now, as you all are aware, it is a very different time this year. I know things are going to be different. Uh, I know that, uh, that um, there probably will not be as many folks who are going to come to the walk in person. I understand that. We're going to have a virtual walk as well. You can go onto the website. You can walk around your neighborhood. You can get, wear your shirts. You can take pictures, do videos. You can share them with Healing Hands. They'll put them on their social media and all of those kinds of things. You can be a part even if you uh, do choose not to be there in person. And I will ask you, if you plan to participate in any way whatsoever, please go to the website and register so that Healing Hands knows to get you a free uh, t-shirt that you can wear and walk around in and let people ask you what that shirt means and you can tell them the story and tell them of the things that your church is doing uh, to help people around the world. So next week, I hope to see you there. I hope that this is something that you all uh, can participate with and I hope that we can uh, do some work together to have more stories just uh, like this one. Now, I want to talk to you very quickly about agriculture. I love talking about agriculture. I would like to ask you real quick, how many of you are involved in agriculture? Can I see your hands? All right, even the ones here at the 8 o'clock not going to raise their hands. That's good. Way to play your part. Nobody. That, is, that just shocks me. I assume there were more people here in agriculture than that. Let me ask the same question another way. How many of you eat food? All right, looky there. Now everybody, everyone is involved in agriculture. That is great. If you are a consumer of agriculture products, i.e. food, you are a very important part of the global agriculture value chain and there's a lot of responsibility there but that's a talk for another time what I want to talk about with agriculture is what Bill Gates said and I assume he's a pretty smart fella I think he has a lot of money maybe that makes him smart he says if you care about poor people you care about agriculture and he is correct and here's the reason when you look at the poorest people on this planet, the one to two billion or so folks who live on one to two U.S. dollars or less per day, over 50% of them are smallholder farmers. And so if you can increase the outputs on smallholder farms, that is the number one way we know in this world to reduce poverty. And here's the kicker. We know exactly how to do it. Once again, we're not waiting for a cure. We're not looking for a solution. We have the solution. We have implemented the solution. We did it in the United States of America. We did it in Great Britain and France and Spain and Australia and every other single so-called developed nation in this world. And this is how we do it. Focus on four things. Better soil, better seed, better access to water, better water-saving techniques, and better education. Soil, seed, water, education. That's exactly what we're doing at Healing Hands International. We go all over uh, continental Africa, uh, India, other places around the world, and we teach what we call level one survival gardening workshops. We show up to a village, we teach them how to make a raised bed, we teach them how to compost, we teach them how to plant seeds, we provide them with a year's worth of inputs, 
hybrid seeds that are high yielding drought resistant seeds. We provide them with water drip kit irrigation systems. We teach them how to put them together. We teach them how to use them. And we tell them about Jesus. And when they put those components together, in virtually every single case, they're going to see an increase in yield on their farms. This gentleman here on the screen, his name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was born without arms. He came to our workshop in 2017 or 2018. I forget now exactly which year. I was there in Kissy Region last year. Jeremiah, I met for the first time. He came up to me. He said, I hear you have been talking about me. I said, yes, I have. He said, I hear that I'm famous. I said, you should slow down. It's not really the case. I don't have the kind of audience that you think that I have. But yes, I've told your story because it's a really cool story. And he said, well, listen, Scott. My name is Colton, but he called me Scott the whole time. It happens a lot. He said, listen, Scott, the next time you go back to America, you tell him this. You tell them that after I learned what I learned at this workshop and I put into practice, the next year I had more crops on my farm than I've ever had in my life. I was able to provide for myself and my family, and I was able to take enough crops to market that I was able to buy a cow for the first time in my life. And the next year, I was able to use the profits that I made off that first cow to purchase a second cow. And if you've ever been to the Kissy region of Kenya, you're well aware of what it means for your social status to have two cows. This man was walking six feet off the ground, singing, skipping, telling every person there how important it was that they pay attention during the ag workshop we were conducting at that time. Now here's the other thing that happened with Jeremiah. So all of our ag trainers are trained preachers. When we were putting this together and we knew we wanted to have the evangelical component at the center of it, we decided we were either going to have to train farmers to be preachers or preachers to be farmers. And it just so happened there were these preacher training schools all over the place with a great source of candidates, and so we decided to teach preachers to be farmers. So we partnered with schools like Bear Valley, like Nairobi Great Commission School, like several others. And... We go to these schools, we conduct training seminars, and the preachers who do well, we offer them jobs. And so when they leave the preacher training school and they go back to their village to set up a church, which was their initial plan, that's why they're there at the preacher training school, they also work with us to conduct ag workshops all around their local area. And we use that to grow the church and to teach people how to grow their food. So when Jeremiah attended our workshop in 2017-2018, he and about 20 other members of the village were baptized, and they started the Kissy Church of Christ. They met under a tree, and after a while, they started to grow, and they kept growing. And when we visited last summer, they had a roof, they had walls, and they had homemade pews, and they had about 150 folks. They're looking to expand their church because they can't fit them all in there. And as it turns out, when you go to places and you offer to help them and you show them love and you do it without any expectation of anything in return, they become very receptive to the things you have to say. They want to know why it is that you're doing what you're doing. 
And so we have had wonderful success growing the church in the areas in which we work. And if you uh, ask around, you will find that even though here in America, the church seems to be maybe stagnant, maybe even shrinking, I hear that all of the time, in Africa, in India, in China, the church is exploding. And next week, we're all gonna have the opportunity to assist in that growth, to do good things for people, to teach them about Jesus. I thank you very much for being here this morning. I thank you for your attention. I would like to shift gears here quickly as we wind down. You may be sitting there and, I don't know, one of you, you may not be a Christian, maybe you are, I'm not sure, but you may be asking yourself, why? Like, okay, I get it, there are folks in the world who are worse off than I am, and it appears that there's something I can do about that, but why? Why should I? Uh, I work very hard, and I barely make enough to support my own family, and I don't understand why you're asking me to help someone else that doesn't seem to be my job, whatever the case may be. I guess here's my very long and convoluted response to that simple question. The short answer is because you're a human being. And here's the long answer. When you turn to the book of Genesis, I think what you find there is a beautiful poetic expression of the human condition. That's one element that you find there. When you read Genesis, I think what you find is that we as human beings are created in the image of God, and as such, we have been invited by God to participate in the creation process. You as a human being have the capacity for critical thought, for self-reflection, for thinking, for acting, and your actions have real consequences in this world, good or bad. Here's the other thing that I read in Genesis. In our lives east of Eden, we suffer alienation. All human beings. Adam and Eve experienced it directly. We live in the shadow of it. Alienated from paradise. Alienated from God. Alienated from nature. Alienated from each other. Alienated from ourselves. And the human project from that time until now has been working to overcome that alienation. And we are so fortunate to have a God that wants us to live harmoniously again, that wants us to overcome that alienation, that wants us to overcome that separation, that invites us back into a relationship with him. And there's one way to do it, I think. If I understand the Bible correctly, the one way to do it is through love. When you love a person, when you love a man, a woman, a child, a stranger, a friend, when you love God, there is this mystical experience almost in which you lose yourself and gain yourself fully all at the same time. And I think that is why when Jesus is asked, what's the one thing we're supposed to do? Just tell me the one thing. What do we have to do? He says, love. He says, you love God with everything that you have, with your heart, your soul, your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself, and everything else falls into place. 
And so what I would say to you is this. When you help another person, particularly someone worse off than you, whether it be through a ministry like this, whether it be through your local church, whether it just be a friend of yours, whether it be a stranger, when you do that, not only does that person receive the gift that you offer them, but you, you benefit by growing closer to being the person that God created you to be in this life. And in that process, there is indescribable joy. And that is what I want for you, and that is what I want for myself as well. If you are here this morning and you're not a Christian and you'd like to be a Christian, I guarantee you the elders here at the Hoover Church of Christ would love to speak with you. If you're here and you are a Christian, but there's something in your life that's keeping you from being the kind of Christian you know you should be, the kind of Christian you want to be, I guarantee the people here at Hoover would love to talk to you. So please come forward right now while we stand and while we sing.